Hello, welcome back. Hey everyone. I hope everyone's had a great week. Yes, it's been a beautiful week. We had a little bit of a storm, but uh, and Ellie's power went out. Mine went out for like five minutes before the wind even started. I don't know if that's what's the deal with that, but yeah, my power went out like all night. Uh, the whole strip of Main Main Street Freeport, that power went out. Wow. Yeah, and they didn't open <laughs> all Yikes. morning. Luckily, though, I got mine the next morning around like 11 a.m. That's earlier than some people did. So it's funny that Brunswick yeah. had power. <laughs> I know. We have like a ton of trees. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So today we wanted to talk a little bit about um, my beliefs as a Christian in prayer and Ellie's beliefs. Um, in, manifestation. in manifestation. And uh, we're bringing this up because we actually have a guest today which we haven't had a guest yet. And it uh, the guest is going to be my sister's boyfriend. His name's Alec, Alexander Johnson. I don't know if he wants me to give him his last name, but I think it's fine. It's a pretty generic name. So Probably find quite a few of them. Oh, yeah. And he's just going to discuss a little bit about how uh, manifestation kind of affected his life and using it. And it's the one that we kind of discussed a little bit last time. Uh, he was uh, about his mom and his stepdad winning the lottery or something like that like the same day they said that they were going to or i don't know he's gonna explain it but it's crazy mm. but basically the theme for this episode is going to be about asking it's a good yeah. way to sum it up because manifestations and asking and prayer isn't asking so yeah so that's kind of what we're doing today yeah do you want to define what you think prayer is and how it should be used um, I would say prayer is an appeal to the Almighty God. Um, we see in Matthew, and I don't know if you know the Lord's Prayer, um, but it's the Our Father who art in heaven. Um, Jesus gave us, I learned this, I didn't really think about this a lot until I went to Bible college. And uh, Jesus gave, like, that was supposed to serve as, like, a model of prayer. Mm -hmm. So it starts with adoration for God, um, appealing to God for, um, I think I'll be the name appealing to God like that we are praying in line with his will so that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So like his kingdom will be advanced and more people will come to know him. Um, give us this day our daily bread. So like um, praying for what we need for the day or what we're hoping for for the day, um, kind of less about what we want and more about what we know. We can always pray for what we want, but like <laughs> knowing like what's in his will that we'd be provided for and everything like that for the day's needs. Um, uh, pray, uh, prayer for, um, not being led into temptation, um, but to be delivered from it. And so like we face temptation every day, like things that God says he doesn't want us to do for our own good <laughs> and for his glory. So we pray for that. Um, we pray for forgiveness as we, um, follow God's example to forgive other people. Um, and then we end the prayer with adoration. Yeah. It sounds like a process. It is. It can be. I mean, like, you don't, I wouldn't say that that's absolutely mandatory. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have, as Christians, we don't have a lot of, like, set prayers, like, say, Muslims will or yeah. uh, as Jews will. Um, the Bible says, just go into your room, shut the door. You don't, of course, there are times in the Bible where people said prayers, like, we call them arrow prayers. So, like, kind of just like, Lord, help me. Amen. <laughs> so, so um, we don't have really a set prayers. A lot of times, for example, in like AA meetings, they'll say the serenity prayer, Lord, grant me the wisdom to this and this. Um, I wouldn't say that's just like, I'd say that's just kind of like a poem. It's mm -hmm. not in the Bible anywhere, really, I don't think. 
but um, yeah, prayer can look like a lot of different ways, but that's a model Jesus gave us. And that's the one that I feel really comfortable with, even though I don't follow it every day. <laughs> so I actually really love the idea of prayer in like every religion. I just think it's so, so cool. Uh, and hearing your explanation of it was actually really interesting and really cool. Nice. And I liked hearing it. Uh, it kind of reminds me of our second episode with gratitude and how I said that the Christian prayer kind of reminds me of like being grateful because you're praying for like to have food on like, your plate and shelter above your head. And then you like, you pray and then you're grateful for it. So that's kind of funny that that's exactly like what it made me think of. Um, so there, there are no set prayers for you. There's no, like, I don't think so. I mean, usually that's the one that, I mean, for Catholics, there are, but for Protestants, I can't really think of many. We do like, you know, we'll recite that one sometimes, but most people will just, you know, kind of pray following that model. Like they'll be like, Lord, thank you so much for this day. We love you. And uh, like referring to him with reverence and then going through the prayer with what we, what strength we need for the day that kind of thing. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I don't think that prayer uh, is a necessity, but it's kind of funny because with my belief system and uh, how I'm not religious like you, I've always prayed. Ever since I was really little, I've prayed probably every single day. Wow. Yeah, and I, I mean it. Like, But the thing is, is that the way that I would pray aren't as like structural as your prayers, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way that I believe prayer is actually in tunes with manifestation. Okay. I was actually watching this video um, about prayer, and uh, they were basically saying it was kind of, spiritualistic video uh, they're saying that within the idea of manifestation and prayer you're praying to you if that makes sense you know how i was talking about oneness yes and how we're definitive from god like where god kind of doesn't separate us as a part of themselves okay so therefore when you pray you're praying you're not praying necessarily to a higher power but at the same time you are like they were saying in this video that because source itself doesn't see you separate from god then when you pray it's almost like if you think you're praying to a higher power you're taking your power away from it when you do have that power i know that's probably okay. a little bit confusing no it kind of makes sense yeah it does so basically what you're praying for and getting out there is kind of using the idea of manifestation for it. Like say you're praying for a new job. I use this example a lot. I don't know why, but let's just say you're praying for like a new job or a better job or something. And basically it might m make you feel better thinking that, okay, something's going to take care of this for me. But Basically, what's happening uh, in my beliefs is that you're giving it up to source, which is also you, and you're manifesting it to you. And that might sound a little bit um, defeating because I think that it kind of takes away the idea that something's like kind of taking care of you, which uh, me even explaining this can see how that sounds like a little bit defeating. But... I think that in a way, if you kind of look at it the other way, it's really empowering because something might be taking care of you, but it's also saying that 
it's taking care of you because you put that out there. Oh, okay. Okay, that makes sense. I can explain it a little bit differently too, if you want to. Me too. I think that makes sense. Um, yeah. Hmm. And uh, I kind of explained before what manifestation was, but I can again. If if I remember correctly, it's kind of putting good energy out. Um, it like I can't remember exactly the wording, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's basically you wanting something to happen, and the idea of manifesting it would be A, pretending like you already have it, like you want a new car, pretend like you kind of already have that new car, get in the energy that you would be in if you had that thing, like, what would it make you feel? Would it make you feel joy? Then get in that joy, and, like, feel it, you know, just feel the feelings that you would have if you have that car, and then B, be grateful and a gratitude of in a space of gratitude and see how you already have that thing without having it okay mm -hmm. um i found this youtuber um her name is i don't i'm probably butchering the <laughs> the pronunciation of her username but it's ruaka or something like that mm -hmm. um and she talks about how some this is there's another like seriously good youtuber who talked about this but like how some of it, like some manifestation kind of stuff is like in the church, um, not like legitimately because it's not what we believe, but like some churches we use it. Um, and so she pointed out this, um, this uh, passage that a lot of times churches will use. Um, it's Matthew 7. And it goes, people use this one, but they'll take it out of context. So they say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one, And then that's where they leave it. But here's where the rest comes in that they leave out. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? So it's kind of like they kind of take the verse out of context and instead of like praying, like my pastor put it this way, you can all, of course, like pray for what you want. Like there's nothing wrong with wanting a car, but like the Bible tells us like to look at um, material things. Like there's a verse that says you come into the world with nothing and you die with nothing. Mm -hmm. So instead of praying, like focusing on material things, praying for like spiritual strength and or wherever you you find your spirit lacking in anything, praying for that. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. But I remember, I know my friend is has experience with a church that isn't my usual denomination. Um, I'm pretty non-denominational, but I'm mostly Baptist because mm -hmm. I feel like they stay really true to the Bible um, and that their interpretation is hermeneutically pretty correct. Um, but the there's they do this thing where they're like, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the word they use, but like claim it. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like manifestation that they think about it. Yeah, like, it does. It. They're like, okay, so if I don't want to experience anxiety anymore, they'll be like, claim that. I'm like, I love that. I'm like, okay. I so. love that. Like, <laughs> I'm going to start doing that. <laughs> so I'm like, so anxiety, like clinical anxiety is just going to like disappear. No, think about it though. Like, so... I love that passage. You actually should send me that. Like, okay, send me, yeah, like, yeah. Because that's actually one of the laws of the greater universe when, like, is ask and it is given. 
It is always given. It's not ask and it might be given. It's asking and it is given. It's always given. And uh, you can see that kind of in Christianity too. And I know, uh, put away like the material stuff kind of aside, I do think that that's kind of when just our human egos do kind of get in mm -hmm. is when we want that material mm -hmm. stuff. Um, so if you that kind of person that does want a new car, maybe they want it so they can get around, drive to... To, to work, um, go places, you know, like, but, oh gosh, what was I going to say? Something back to that. Oh, claiming it. So what they mean is that you have to get in kind of the vibrational state to claim it, which is kind of what I was trying to say with manifestation, where you have to be in that mindset set and that like space to be in it. But the thing with something like anxiety goes back to kind of what I was trying to say before, where you have to heal the traumas behind it before you completely get oh, in the, before before you can get in that space. I do not think that it is possible to get in that space of like my anxiety is completely away. I'm I don't get anxious anymore uh, without healing the major traumas behind it to why you might have like this major anxiety and like me too, you know, mm. um, and. Oh my gosh, what else was he? That's so interesting to me. I feel like that just like um, I'm just learning about all this stuff. So I know. I feel like I don't have too much to say. Mm -hmm. And I think that it almost takes away from being human, wanting to get rid of certain traits. Because I feel like the happiest people out there know that there's good days and know that there's also bad days. Like they have everything that they want, but you're not going to be able to get away from those bad days mm -hmm. um oh, my word, what was i gonna say oh the kind of per the perspective i have on like um anxiety going away is when i pray i've learned that like i should pray in the will of god and after like praying like so much like lord take this away take this away and it not happening i was like okay well as uh, as frustrated as i was i was like maybe this is part of my story that god wants me to have Mm -hmm. And so it's like helped me comfort other people, which in itself is more than enough for me. But um, it's kind of like, okay, well, it's not guaranteed. You know, the Lord didn't, Lord heals people all the time. Mm -hmm. And I believe that he can. Um, for me, I've, I've prayed for it in believing. So instead of like praying for it, because it, has, uh, it hasn't gone away. So in pred in the it's okay. You can, yeah, yeah you'll find it. <laughs> Instead of me praying for it to go away anymore, I'm going to praise him through it anyway, because I know that there's a purpose for it. Mm -hmm. And so like, instead of claiming that it's going to like claiming it and saying it will go away. Um, I choose to, um, I believe more in, okay, Lord, I think, I believe this is what you've chosen for my life and I believe there's a purpose for it. So help me to glorify you through it. So do you think not only is it a God's mission that you still have this, but it's kind of like there's a part of you that still wants to hold on to that anxiety too? Oh my word, this is so crazy because the other day I, yeah. I was like, if I could get a brain surgery and have the neural pathways fixed or I could um, that kind of thing, or I could take like a little magic pill that would take it all away, would mm -hmm. I? And I was like, okay, I was like, this, is, this would take me a long time, but I would consider, you know, all of the dark seasons have been through where it was kind of like tunnel vision and you couldn't see the end. Um, and like all the terror I've felt and all that. And I think like anybody would be like, yeah, take it away. But also um, I think 
that it would be a little weird to take it away. away. Kind of like what I was asking yeah. you in last podcast, if you could take a pill mm-hmm. and just be happy all the time, but be a slave, yeah, you'd I be like, I would not. <laughs> but yeah. I know for a hundred percent, cause I've kind of worked with myself with this is that I'm like, why do I hold on to this anxiety and this anxiousness? And I think that in a way there's a part of me that thinks it keeps me safe. Like if I'm, yes. if I'm worried about one thing, then it might prevent it from happening, which I know is kind of not the case, but it's kind of the belief system I have in my head that if I'm worried about something, then I, A, won't have another thing to be worried about, which isn't always true. And B, maybe me worrying about it will make it, make what I want come forth more. It's also kind of like when you realize you're not anxious about anything, you're like, what the heck? Yes. Yes. That's (laughs) exactly. I I remember like in college, I was like, I have like all these intrusive thoughts all the time. And I was like, where the heck are they? <laughs> I was like, I would look at something that usually would give me an intrusive thought. And I was like, um, it's not there. What's going on? So that would make me anxious. And I was like, so why are these like horrifying intrusive thoughts making me feel safe? It's because it's familiar and you're used mm-hmm, to it. Mm-hmm. And so like anything outside of that, as much as you wish it would go away, it's kind of like, well, I'm used to this now. That's how I feel too. I 100% relate to that. Mm. And I was like, <laughs> weird. Cause I hate this. <laughs> Cause I, when I, when I have, and it happens to me at school too. And I'm just like, I have nothing to worry about right now. I'm like, Oh my God, what's going to happen to me? Like <laughs> what's going to happen? <laughs> yes. Typical anxiety brain. Always firing off in the wrong direction. And there's, it's like firing into a mist or a fog and you're like straight up. Nothing's there. But it's like, there might be. Yeah. False alarms every day. Yeah. Um, so speaking of last podcast before that I I forgot to say this there is this uh, the petition that me and Liz found that we think that everyone should sign we were talking about human trafficking and sex trafficking in the last podcast and how uh, Pornhub how it's not uh, every not everything on Pornhub is consensual Mm. so we found this yeah oh gosh I was watching this video Liz after you talked to me about that actually about all these stories of people being like tortured and sexually abused on Pornhub and how it's actually a lot more of Pornhub than we think about it and how people are making money off of this millions of dollars off of this which is like so effed up and uh the petition's called Trafficking Hub so if you want to help go on and sign that petition and share it and have everybody you know sign it if they care about this. They should care about this. Um, so, yet just again, it's called Trafficking Hub. It's a petition to shut down Pornhub and hold its, its executives accountable for aiding trafficking. There we, go. we will link it in the description of this um, episode. And, yeah, you would be shocked as to the amount of um, things that you or someone you know might be watching that aren't consensual. And so like in the fight for women's rights and in the fights for children's rights and protection for both and, and men too. Like yeah. Shocked oh yeah. How many men um, are taken victim by this uh, and racism. It like Pornhub directly cashes in on racism. Mm-hmm. Nobody checks the videos that are uploaded. Like there are fetishes that are harmful that involve racism. That There's I also like, the there's a lot of videos on there too of like it it is disgusting for me to even say this but of like toddlers and like little kids yeah there are there literally are and they're not checking it they're not checking it they're not preventing it like 
uh, I was watching actually a small documentary about it because that's also how my brain works. I hear about something and I want to learn more about it. <laughs> as awful as it I is. know as awful as it is. And there was like, I was watching the story about this 13 year old girl that went through it. And there was like hundreds of videos that they uploaded yes. of her. Yeah. 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 Did she like go missing? She, they said that yeah. she went missing. And when she finally broke of it, she went to court to try to get those videos taken down and it took them years to take them down years that's awful that's a minor they could literally just press a a child and it would be gone yeah so clearly these people have no integrity no morality Mm -hmm. and um i saw this thing about i think she was like 13 and she was involved in sex trafficking and she was the one who was going to be serving sentences instead of the people i can't remember exactly what it said but it was like are you kidding me like make this make sense why would she serve any sentences what did they say she did? She was also, she appeared to be a person of color as well. So who knows, oh, that might have played into it because yeah. we know how, ugh, I saw it. Maybe, like, maybe it's a sentence thing because they forced her to do some stuff on there too that was probably not law-abiding. That could be it. And they have videos of her doing that and not necessarily the people who forced her to do that. That would make sense. Yeah, it would. Because they, they set things up in that way and they stage everything. Mm-hmm. And nobody's looking out for these things. So if you, like, we talk about, like, um, in the fight to, you know, like, change our own patterns of thinking when it comes to racism and how we might have our own biases. And we, most of us do, let's be mm-hmm. real. Most of us do have our own biases and uh, inequality inequalities in our thought processes. So, like, if you are, um, if you are someone you know is active on Pornhub, I think you should seriously consider not doing that. Because yeah. For one thing, I would very easily say that pornography does not exemplify love. No, it doesn't. It's all just lust. It's all just physicality. And plus, there is so much racism through there. So, like, how can you, like, you know, let that, let yourself be doing that? You know what I mean? And if you're the kind of person who thinks that you're watching it innocently, which you're, you're not in the first place, but, like, you know, with the most, like, you're just watching it just kind of, you know, get off. Just think about, like, that could be your daughter there. That could be your sister. That could be your mother. That could be anybody that you love and care about in that situation, doing it not consensually. It's always at somebody else's expense. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think it's gonna, I think this is a really good talk that we should be having, like, you know, with our children and with our Um, with our friends because you know like there's a lot that people talk about now that they wouldn't talk about a lot so i think we're in a good time oh yeah where we can like openly discuss things and so yeah we need to consider pornhub as we consider changing our thought patterns with um racism and women's rights and children yeah children i know and uh as you were saying liz i think we should teach it in schools i think that yeah we really really should I need to know what to look out for. If I have a child, I want them to know what to look out for. Apparently, mm-hmm. like, thousands, like, double digits, thousands, like, 40-something thousand kids go missing in this country. Yeah, it's insane. And, like, it's ridiculous. 40-something percent is by a family member that were, who kidnaps the child or, and then, uh, and then next in line is an acquaintance and then third in line is a stranger. So, I mean, like. It can be a family member. A family yeah. member could do that for whatever reason. I mean, it could be, you know, I don't know if it would still be considered kidnapping if they were saving the child's life. 
from a destructive family member, but nevertheless, it's kidnapping and it's important that it's written down. And that it's took a note by mm -hmm. so that authorities know where this, this child is. Mm -hmm. But you're right. I do think that more is being talked about. Not enough is being talked yeah. about, but more than normal. And it's good. It is really good. And it's okay to feel scared to talk about some things. Um, mm -hmm. Just know that usually conversations, more often than not, they end well. Yeah. So, I mean, and plus, if it's something as serious as this, it absolutely needs to be talked about. And you shouldn't let anything hold you back because people's lives are in the balance. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we digress. We do. Yeah, we digress. And we thank you for taking this into consideration and yeah. not tuning off. <laughs> with us rambling about this because it is very very important mm -hmm. and we trust that like looking at the demographic of our audience that you guys are listening and that you agree <laughs> <laughs> yeah because most of you are our age and i'd like to think that people in the older generation are on the same page as well. yeah especially the ones that listen to this podcast yes, i think that i they trust that they are yeah <laughs> yeah well we um, really appreciate you guys we really really do we really do and we can do this together mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well thank you and uh, anyways, anywho. yeah, back to what we were talking about. We were talking about prayers, asking, and manifestation. Uh, and manifestation in the Bible—that's so cool. I do want to. I do want you to send me those pass passages. Like I would say, it's not manifestation, but rather like um, appealing to God. Because mm -hmm. like the person, this girl that I mentioned, who I was watching on YouTube just today. She said that God and the universe aren't the same thing. And I was like, shoot, you're right. Because I was thinking about that. Um, and kind of like, especially when I'm talking to somebody who might be thinking about God and they're like, or they're agnostic and they might think, okay, there's definitely like the universe. Um, for me, when I think about that, it's better for me to think about like an almighty intelligent being out there who cares about me rather than say just the universe. You know what I mean? So she said that God and the universe are, are not the same. Um, and yeah, she was really interesting. I would say, like, totally check her out. Yeah. Um, I can send you her channel. Yeah, do it. Um, I would like to listen to that, too, because I do believe that God and the universe are the same thing. Okay. But I don't think that it's necessarily, like, when you think, like, the universe, you think that, like, you think of it almost physically, kind of, like, I think of it kind of as, you know? like, um, faceless, kind of, like, I don't know how I would say it, but I usually think of, like, you know, space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I mean, is that okay. it's, like, it's like, when people think of the universe, they think of, like, you know, space and the Milky Way and stuff. Um, I kind of think when I, when I kind of refer to the universe, I refer to it as, like, source. Okay. I don't think that God is necessarily faceless, though, but... The reason that I don't like thinking of God as this, like, almighty being with, like, ultimate sovereignty, because we were... T I'm going to explain that in a minute, because there, at one point I kind of did. But I think that we ultimately have sovereignty over ourselves, and I don't think that we're lesser than a God. I don't think that... And I know that you kind of disagree with that. I can kind of see your energy, like, shifting. But I don't think that we're lesser than a god. I think that that kind of, like, defeats our purpose as, like, as powerful creators and people, spirits who come down to this life, you know? Like, I, I don't know. It's, no, I see what you mean. Um, also, I've been meaning to ask you this for, like, a while. But when you say come down, how do you mean? Like, come down from... 
I do say that a lot. Thank you yeah, for asking me that. Yeah, I was like, I, I, I don't know why I never asked that before, but I've been meaning to for the past few years. From episodes. heaven. From heaven. Okay, let's put that down, actually. Yeah, pen. Yes. Well, somewhere, somewhere here. Somewhere if here. you don't, it's okay. No, I do. It's somewhere. Um, um, but I really... I didn't know if it was like an inc- reincar- reincarnation thing or... Nice. I, I really should, like, clarify that because I was saying once that I wasn't ultimately sure if there was a heaven. Um, I do believe in a heaven. But basically, um, when I was really young, I was kind of taught that there was, like, an ultimate, like, God that was, like, sovereign. But, and I was taught that there was, like, a heaven, and I was, I was never taught that there was a hell. My mom was who I would listen to and go to for, like, spiritual slash religious beliefs and advice and stuff, and she never, like, she always told me that, like, this, like, living here on, like, Earth is kind of the hell, and that people who were, like, purely evil would just reincarnate and not get that rest in heaven, which is really interesting. Um, I'm not sure if I believe that now. I kind of have to think about that, but um, anyways, I do believe in a heaven, um, but the thing about God to me is that I feel like if there was, like, an ultimate God just in the sky that was, like, had the face like you're talking about, that had that ultimate sovereignty, this sounds, like, kind of awful, but I don't mean it awful, like, like, I don't think that there'd be, like, a point, you know, like, for, like, okay, like, I don't mean it like that, though. Uh, what I mean by the point is that, yes, the go- God's up there to kind of look and watch over us and protect us and be there, but it's, if God is purely love, then I don't see how God would take us and see us as, dis- what's the word, divisible from oh. itself, which is why I believe that we that there was that one source or that one God, and we are a part of that God. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, cool. But I do believe that there is a God. And that sounds confusing, but it makes sense to me. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, that kind of, like, um, uh, kind of in a faceless way, that there, or... Uh, yeah, I think I get it. My mom, for the longest time, was talking to me, and I think that she still believes this, too. Uh, she believes that there's two people, like, not two people, but she's not monotheist, or uh, uh, what's the word? Polytheistic. But she was saying that, like, something about a mother god and a father god. I might have her explain this sometime, but that was really, really interesting from her point of view, because she was saying that she believes that there's a god but she also believes that there's, like, a mother god, too, that, like, puts things in motion. I should really, really have her explain it, though, because I'm really bad at explaining what she believes. So, like, okay. Interesting. I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. Is it, like, kind of just her belief, or is it kind of, like, um, something she learned? It is something that she learned. The mother god would be, I think her name would be, like, Asna or something like that. 
my mom actually is a very spiritual person too and she's had a like she's read a lot of books on what she believes too but just as i say a lot before i base my a lot of my beliefs off of teal swan uh, who is a spiritual teacher who ultimately teaches these, uh, this idea of oneness. It's funny, kind of to digress, I, when I saw her picture, I was like, she's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch that video? I haven't yet. No. Uh, it's really long because she kind of talks about the like suffering, I guess, that she went through in that like cult and stuff. But it's really interesting. If you sat down and uh, you're good with like listening to like really raw things, mm -hmm. right? And really like grotesque things. Because she talks about some like torturous stuff and that. Yeah. And uh, but it's really, really interesting. Like if you have that the whole gross. hour and a half, then I yeah. would listen to that. And then I would go watch her other videos about things like prayer and manifestation. And she talks about Jesus in one too, actually, which is, yeah. But the, the reason I bring her up so much, though, is because when I was 13 and I was my parents got divorced, I was going through a really hard time and I moved and everything. And she was really what kind of changed my perspective on life. Like listening to her videos really, really helped me so much. And uh, to this day, I still listen to her videos. So it had an effect on me. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering if now would be a good time to invite Alex. Yes, let's see. Hey, cool. So Alec is now with us. Um, so I would say that Alec has more my beliefs than Liz's because Liz is more very like Christianity, religious. I'm more like spiritual. Um, uh, and he very much believes in like manifestation, meditation. You believe in meditation too though, right? I think in a different way. In a different way. <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. get into that. But basically, Alec, our episode today is about asking. So manifestation and prayer, which I think we both believe in both of it. We both believe in manifestation and prayer. And I've been kind of uh, teasing the audience a little bit with the story about your mom and your stepdad and how they won the lottery, right? It was okay. a lottery? Yes, it was the main state lottery in 2000 and. Ten or nine. It was. I was really young. <laughs> um, okay, so it started out with one day we had gotten into an apartment on one of the worst corners in downtown Lewiston in Maine, and it was right next to a little corner store called Poirier's. We're on the top floor. And it was where we could go for that entire summer and some of the spring before and most of the fall after I had gone camping in an Allers Offer Park owned by our now new landlords. I didn't know at the time that we were actually homeless. I was that young and my mother was still in a court custody battle over me. So if I knew my father would have grilled me on it and used it. Um, but we got into that, we got into that class and, not class, see, we got into that house and my mother really wanted to improve our lives. And she was recently 
seeing this guy named Matthew. I didn't really like him at the time, but he was nice and kind, and I respected him for that, even though there's a lot that I didn't like about him. Um, but anyways, before my mother would let him move in, or move in with him, he needed to fix up his life, and mom needed to stabilize herself. We're, for about half a year, I'm going to school, and my mother, one day, I come home, tells me about the movie The Secret. And, and she actually, I talk about it a little bit on this podcast, too, before, where I said that the idea of manifestation is a lot grander than The Secret. Yes, and Marie Diamond definitely goes into that, who is on The Secret and also a Mind Valley Masterclass teacher and All Access teacher. I am taking her class on Feng Shui right now, cool. which is also about emotional energy flow and manifestation. So, my mother actually pirated the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I pirated have, The Fault in Our Stars. So we, I mean, we didn't have the money. So, we, we got the movie and we watched it. I don't remember much of the movie, but I remember one big thing. What ifs that are positive is really important. Believing and letting yourself have it was important. And acting as if it was already assured that it would be there. And that you have it, and that you did have it. That's what I'm talking about. And that was how I looked at it as a very young kid. My mother, after that, went on this whole kick on um, Esther Hicks. Uh, she also most people teaches... know her by Abraham Hicks or yeah. Jerry Hicks and Esther Hicks. Jerry Hicks sounds familiar. Yes, they were married. Jerry Hicks is sadly no longer with us, but. He is happier, so I have a reason for that too. So does Esther, and but Abraham. I don't think I don't think it's the same as Esther's. We can get in on the philosophical debate later. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and my mother started going around all happy, pretending that she had already gotten it, and I didn't understand why she was pretending that she already had it, and she made Matthew do the same thing. <laughs> If you if you, if you if you if you knew Matthew like I don't even know Matthew that well but I just like I've seen the guy you could you could tell why this is a little funny. <laughs> He's a six foot four inch, uh, country home raised man who is very kind hearted and rednecky enough to go mudding. <laughs> And uh, build things in his backyard. He's but a he's a good redneck. He is he's a, a good redneck. redneck. <laughs> okay. He is a phenomenal redneck. Uh, rednecks actually used to be a term for patriots. So. Oh, okay. Uh, that, don't that. quote me on that. It's not exactly correct, <laughs> but basically. Um, Exquisite redneck. And about three months later, around Christmas time, right after, ish, if memory serves me right. Um, I am currently not at my mom's house. I am with my biological father and my stepmother, my younger sister, and my older sister. My eldest sister was already moved out in, in China. Wow. Uh, before she'd be coming back in a year. But my mother was apparently in the bedroom and Matthew was in the bathroom. They had just bought their weekly scratch ticket. Matthew scratching a ticket while in the bathroom, 
because he's one day he needs to use it and <laughs> he comes out of the bathroom with his pants and underwear around his ankles shaking a ticket and a quarter walking into his bedroom because they're in his apartment and Josiah reports saying uh, reports hearing Matthew saying Teresa 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 is this real <laughs> my mother takes it and looks at the back because he hadn't checked to see if it says return in the North Pole. And it said return in Augusta. And it was a scratch ticket for $100,000. They weren't yet married, so they got to split it as my mother bought it and he scratched it. So they got to split 50-50, which helped with the taxes on the $100,000. They got to keep $37,500 apiece. My mother used that money to pay off her debt on my uh, court custody battle, uh, which was really high because she had a phenomenal lawyer. That's awesome. Uh, every time my father would start a new court case, he'd throw the old one away into a bin and say, here's a new, here's a new battle and start it just like that. Mm -hmm. Which is It kept costs yeah. slow and allowed her to accrue it without too much interest, which was mm -hmm. lovely. Um, she paid all of that off. She used the rest to get a down payment on a loan for the apartment building she's currently co-owning with Matthew as her husband. Oh my word. Matthew, on the other hand, it was his first good, like really great experience with good fortune. And he had a lot of energetic vampire friends. So they he spent his money on them and on beer, pizza, he apparently, before I even got back, uh, broke up with her for a few days and did I don't know what with the money, but assumptions. <laughs> and didn't even get himself the one thing he really wanted, a new truck. Hmm. Which I feel sorry for him. because He should have. He should have. Yeah. And he deserved it. And he still deserves a new truck. He did get a new truck recently, though, but it's not as new as he wanted. But it's there, which is good for him. But they went around believing that they had it in the future. And eventually, while Matthew wasn't thinking about it, at his most relaxed, it happened. And mom was going around, we want $100,000, $100,000 for two weeks, all day <laughs> long. And <laughs> it happened. It's uh, I just want to point out though, it's when he let it go and when they let it go that it happened. Yeah, because if you would have been holding on to it, he still you you have to let go what you love in mm -hmm. order to keep it, in order to receive it, and that goes for everything. And Matthew wasn't so into it that he had to hold on to it, but was just into it enough to let it go and to possibly let it come in without resisting it. Mm -hmm. And that lack of resistance was the most important thing. And it wouldn't have happened if not for one really, two really kind guys. One that was in front of Matthew and I that would have gotten it, but got a phone call and said, you can go ahead. I'm just here to buy a scratch ticket anyways. It's creepy. It's creepy. <laughs> it's like gives me the chills. But it shows one thing that he had enough resistance to it to instead of focusing all of his energy into the moment of buying the scratch tickets, 
into the phone call, mm-hmm. which could have been put to voicemail. Interesting. And that's when Matthew received it. And also, it was thanks to the uh, cashier that Matthew didn't get mugged when he went back because uh, he got got it home, scratched it, brought it in to verify at the store, and he set it back down and said, get out of here, go, hmm. and didn't say anything else, and he whispered it so everyone else in the line could only assume, and Matthew darted out, because this was in the worst part of Lewiston. Jeez. Well, not the worst, worst part of Lewiston, but very close. And since then, I've had a few more instances with attraction, both negative and positive. Mm -hmm. The most positive being the recent year of my life. I mean, me too. Yeah. Yeah. You getting into college with the help of your granddad. Yeah, Yeah, that was um, definitely where I used manifestation and pretending like I already had it. And I've been doing that all four years of school, and I haven't even been realizing it. But I think what saved me is within the pretending like I already have it and going and getting ready for school without knowing that I had the money. It was also the idea of I deserve to go to school. Everyone else is going to school. Um, As I said before, I go to school in Canada, which means that I can't necessarily take out a loan without having phenomenal credit. And I can't really get financial help because it's in another country. So I think really what saved me with this is that I saw all my friends were going to school and it was normal for me to go back to school and familiar, as we were talking about, Liz, when something's familiar, it's more likely to happen. We're more likely to gravitate towards it. Um, I saw my friends going to school and how easy it was for them to go back to school and get loans. I'm like, they deserve it. I deserve it. I more than deserve it. I deserve to go back to school and I deserve to do and be where I want to be. Like, why do I have to suffer at the the case of this? But it was both pretending like I already had it and feeling like I deserved and was worthy of it. You just reminded me of one movie series that I remember watching when I was younger. Um, the Halloween Town 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> yeah. The old grandmother. Yeah. Magic is believing in it and then letting yourself have it yeah i did i wasn't super into those movies but i know what they are i just remember her swinging her arms out (laughs) looking to the sky and the camera zooming out and it's a lot like that yeah and you both your your mom and your stepdad felt like they deserved it i bet that they did they wouldn't have gotten it if they didn't feel like they deserved it it was from my perspective my mother's complete dedication the belief yeah the belief. nothing nothing absolutely nothing can go outside your belief system i have to make that completely clear if you believe something it has to has to has to happen so it's that, just if you are upset with something or you don't want to believe something change your beliefs one thing that they'll get confused on is that you can have conflicting beliefs that can cause you dissonance that's true yeah michael beckwith uh, reverend michael beckwith uh, says that the law of attraction is more like the law of resonance because mm-hmm. when you have conflicting beliefs, you are at a state of uh, dissonance 
and you are incoherent uh, to uh, refer to Jeffrey Allen. And in order to manifest, create anything, not just really big things, you mm -hmm. have to start out with some type of coherency and some type of internal resonance with what you're looking for, whether that be writing down in a journal and see how it fits getting into a your new life. journal, getting a new job or starting a new startup or raising see, venture capital. Yeah. Any, anything has to start with coherency and resonance. And the look back on why and where this belief started that I discuss a lot with the healing the traumas of your childhood. Yeah, know I, myself. Yeah, I have a question for you, Liz. How, when you listen to Alex's story, how does that fit in um, religiously? Like how, when you think of it, what, and you like think about God and Jesus and um, your beliefs on, in Christianity, what do you think? Like, how do you take that story in? Well, my first thought doesn't really have to do with Christianity. Um, but as for like the positivity part, um, kind of like uh, believing that you have it, um, the positivity. Do you think that sometimes that positivity can turn into toxic positivity? It, it's yes. more about the strength of your belief in it than okay. the positivity, because you can be positive about something positive, or you can be positive about something negative. And that posit first positivity is your strength in that belief or core belief. And a lot of bad things like thinking that you can't go driving if you're even if even if you sip a little bit of wine and you're below the toxicity rate because you believe you'll get an OUI and then you go out because you need to one fateful evening and get an actual OUI. Um, it's because of that strong resonance with that experience, that belief, that fear is just as strong. I get what Liz is saying though, because it's almost like if you, you look at it from someone else's eyes that done that doesn't really like this doesn't really correlate with their life they might see that positivity is like oh these people are just like lying to themselves like and um i think that it's as you were saying i think that it's harmless if you go about that like belief like um, if you do change that belief and take that time to change that belief and not use it against yourself if that makes sense a belief is something that you have either decided to take into yourself and follow with everything that you do and are either because of rational thought and process of taking it in and accepting it as yourself or because mm -hmm. it was irrationally placed upon you by your peers, parents, and society. To quote uh, Vishnachiani in his class, Be Extraordinary, and to refer to his book, Code of the Extraordinary Mind, you reality is made up of your beliefs and Therefore, reality is something that you make oh, yeah. up, and you make it up all the time, constantly, everything. Because you are no acceptance. Greater. Yeah. Because it's all made up by your beliefs. Everything you experience is perceived through your beliefs. Like getting a job interview. What is the facts? You go in through the physical interview. You talk about the job. Talk about either starting at the job or sorry, you can't. You you. You don't qualify or we don't want you here that those are the facts the perception i wasn't qualified for the job or like if these things aren't validated by the actual experience it's, it's left up to your perspective mm -hmm. to say to give the reasons why it's either you succeeded 
or you didn't. And you always have to ask yourself, does this belief serve me? Does this serve me believing this certain belief? And then if you say no, then then that's when you do the work and go back and see how that belief was started. However, um, the example that Alec just gave about the OUI, that might that belief that if you go driving and you get an OUI, that might serve you because it might keep you from getting an OUI. Yeah, you can't say you. that it like you can't because if you get a bad feeling, be like saying to yourself that this belief doesn't serve me. It's because it does serve you in a sort of way because you don't feel like you're suited to drive. Two important things to always remember that I've learned from the past five days. One, your beliefs are your beliefs. So the most important belief that you could accept into yourself over everything else is that the best belief you could have would be the belief that you can change any and all of your beliefs. Mm-hmm. And secondly, awesome. um, to love yourself, to love yourself and know that any belief that you currently have the most, when you ask yourself if it really serves you to ask if it really serves you to keep you safe, to benefit your life or the lives of those you touch. They, there's always the question, too, of people asking these spiritual teachers or the people teaching this stuff is, what's the quickest way to manifest something? And it's to love yourself. And I don't mean that in a narcissistic way. I mean it as in, what are my, what is the best interest for me? And I live with myself. So what is the best suited decision for me? Another two things I've learned from these classes over the past week and videos from watching over the past four years is um, one, when you believe in yourself and want to manifest something, going for it with all you have is very important and can be strengthened by your self-care, as you said. Mm-hmm. and that is extremely important because if you're falling out of the sky in an airplane and you need to make sure your kid has a mask, you need to give yourself oxygen first. And it's the same thing for everything in life, parenting, business, personal development. You cannot do anything for other people until you are okay. Yeah. Therefore making yourself okay benefits everybody else around you. Self-love is not selfish or narcissistic unless it is at the uh, mercy and expense of others' well-being. Okay, can you continue (laughs) what you were going to say, Liz? I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, I asked, uh, basically, when you listen to his story, like, listen to the story about his mom and his stepdad, what were your perceptions of it? Um, I feel like because I'm just, like, learning about this kind of thing, I feel like I don't have too much of a statement to make. Um, the, my perspective on like things happening to me is, um, I don't know how I would say it. It's kind of like, um, if it happens in my life, God will, it's because God willed it for some purpose that maybe I can't see. Or, um, for me, hmm, how do I say this? Uh, I've heard, I remember this past school year, I was really pouring into other people and I was like, Cause I was at a Bible college mm-hmm. and I have the personality that kind of like people gravitate towards for like compassion or, um, commiseration or like, um, some kind of, uh, vice. 
So I was like, these people were coming to me and I was like, I was dealing with my own mental issues at the time. And I was like really anxious and I was depressed. And I was like, at some point, cause I have a toxic trait of like taking responsibility for like other people's feelings. So I was like, mm, well, if I let too. this person go, if I hang up the phone and be like, I'd say I have to go, like, even if it's to take care of myself um, and preserve like rest and stuff, I feel like if that person makes the decision to say, take their life, I feel like it's on me. So I was like, I wasn't taking care of myself. And people would say, Liz, you can't pour from an empty cup. And I was like, point made. <laughs> and the Bible talks about rest and stuff. You know, like we believe that God rested on the seventh day of creation. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of believe in that sanctity of that rest. And um, mm. uh, I'm really glad that you said something about self-love is not selfish. Because that's been something I've been thinking about. And you said, unless it's... It's at the mercy and expense of other people's well-being. Okay. That's interesting. Like, you taking an extra piece of cake when one person hasn't even gotten a first piece? Is that what you mean? Well, if that other person doesn't want a piece, then... Well, yeah. yeah. But if another person hasn't had that other piece, there is... Or asking. Or is asking for that other piece share Mm -hmm. there is i don't even know when this happened or who did it but i remember it so vividly because i put myself in the situation that was described to me there was a man that traveled around the world and did a social experiment with children where he'd give food or toys or whatnot to the first person to the first child to do this or get there and always made it a competition Mm -hmm. I've heard this before. Um, yeah, I've told you. Uh, but he got to somewhere in Africa, I believe, and um, in actually in a lot of different places where children lack a lot of necessities. And what they would do is, the one example that I remember very clearly is he told them to race to the tree up the hill. And what the children did in that instance was they all grabbed hands and walked up to the tree and touched it together <laughs> because sharing and is caring and caring for other people is more important than being greedy and it, helping others helps you in return. That's okay. So Jesus said something about children that I really love. Children were coming to him and people were like, uh, and he was like, um, suffer not the little children to come to me. These to them is given the kingdom of heaven. And so that, because they are, I mean, sure, I, we believe that everybody is born with a sin nature, like inherently um, inclined to kind of do the wrong thing. So it was like these children who don't ex- like don't judge people. They're mm-hmm. like they they take everything pretty much at face value. They're very um, they have the best intentions. Really, they um, kind of uh, haven't been corrupted really by the world yet. And so. Jesus is like, have faith like these kids, because, you know, I mean, Jesus, he wasn't, they say that he wasn't much to look at, but they still were gravitated towards him. And they were just in their purest form, like listening, like all wide-eyed. Children, as a requirement, biologically, are forced to pay extreme attention to everything. And in order to do that, they have to have, and they start out with, no preconceived notions, except for one thing every experience that they've experienced experience at that point they start fresh yeah love pain shock they get it all really fast and so as they age 
they still have that purity. And from my point of view, if humans are born with sin, as in sin is failure, then yes, everyone is a sinner. But if sin is a something that could be considered a corrupt nature, or that would harm another person um, without protecting someone else who is innocent. That is something that is learned in the culture scape. Yeah, when's the last time you met a racist baby? Right, exactly. Racism, That's what I was racism say. is isn't, taught. It's yeah, it's taught. taught. Hatred is thinking. taught. Separation mm -hmm. is taught. If you look at toddlers all around, if they're not inside of a toxic home environment, when they're with peers or elders they don't care they're just interested they're bewildered uh who was it that said that uh was it Remy? Remy, probably uh trade your curiosity uh no trade your cleverness for bewilderment and that's the state they live in at least until they are integrated into the culture scape of their local society and then the global community. I think Jesus loved children so much because they they had that awe about them. Yes. That bewilderment, that awe. Children are, I, I think, I, I, there's a quote that I love um, by Gabriel Iglesias, children are sober little alcoholics <laughs> because they're in awe they're excited they say what they think and they are always asking questions and at least when they're healthy and it's so amazing and we can learn a lot from watching children grow in a nurturing environment and that's one thing that i think globally humanity has kind of yeah. failed to do mm -hmm. is to base adult culture and civilization off of all the strengths of childhood even though children can be naive that naivety works in their favor when it comes to ambition mm -hmm. and we lose that as we get older well, that's, in a lot of society that's something that's actually really toxic about our society too and when someone's parenting a child, they don't really understand that the child cannot differentiate them being bad and the thing that they're doing being bad. Um, that is a learned perspective. It's a learned perspective. So, and, the, and telling the child or telling your child that they shouldn't feel a certain way is very traumatic because the child automatically thinks, well, if what I'm feeling is wrong, then I must be wrong. I haven't taken any parenting class. My mother did a wonderful job at doing her best. And one thing that she instilled in me that I'm going to do the same thing with my children isn't telling them what they're doing is wrong. So, uh, but telling them and telling me that would you enjoy having what you are doing now done to you? And it made me empathize with others without telling me that I am bad. And that was one very wonderful thing that I thank my mother for. And on the, this all started because she asked you, mm -hmm. 
what you viewed this manifestation society through Christianity. And I am really intrigued to actually understand your perspective because I was raised as a Baha'i. And as a Baha'i, we were supposed to read and study and also integrate and accept every religion, every even mm-hmm. every everyone, because we're all human. Humanism is more important. And therefore accepting everyone into the global community, into the love and compassion. I don't know if I want to pick up my old teachings again, but they have heavily influenced me. And I would prefer to say that I am spiritualist, but not religious. Mm -hmm. And that's because of all the connotations that come with all the religions and the connotations and habits and the perceptions that come with every religion is because of the time period that they were formed. Mm and the That's environments cool. that they were formed in. And that is something extremely important that I think a lot of religious people overlook, not because they want to overlook it, but because it's not brought to their attention. Mm-hmm. And that's because of the way that they're raised with it being part of their family, part of their culture, and the only acceptable thing for them at that time in certain households. That's very well said. And I just want to well say said. that. So, something that I had to understand going through, um, there's one class I remember there's one passage where my heart gets really hardened, and it's that women are to be quiet in the church. I'm considerably feminist, old-fashioned feminist. And here's the thing. Toxic, toxic masculinity will take that and be like, I'm the man, you have to be quiet. We also have to look at that in a cultural context. Churches were set up differently back then. And... There's no, and you'll see, unfortunately, a lot of pastors or husbands in the Christian community use that to elevate themselves pridefully. One thing that I think all men can get from religions in church um, is that sense of, uh, I don't even have the word. We we actually used it the other day. Um, Like men in the church like they have like their their place uh they're yeah. like um they put themselves above others in a subconscious level because of the way that the church is set up as you said it's kind of set up like a king because you've got the i, I don't know all the words so i'm just gonna say the altar for god then you've got the church for the um, do you think that it's pope, also because people person, think that and then you've got the rest of the crowd and so god as a king sits with his back to the wall and his right-hand man protecting him and guiding for him. And that's because as a king in olden days, a lot of the time you had to have your back to the wall because almost everyone out there was ready to stab you in the back to take your place. And so that kind of got integrated into a lot of religious cultures, including Christianity, um, as a subconscious culture piece. Also, uh, we were discussing it might be because God's perceived as man. Could that, that also be? Maybe? I actually, I made this Facebook post recently. I don't know if you saw it. Um, Probably. Usually, when I think of God, I do think of a male figure. Here's the thing. Angels are genderless. And here's another thing. The original Bible was written in Sanskrit. And the word used to describe God was... It, it's a word that starts with H. But it means uh, it has a dualistic definition. The definition was spirit and nature. Oh. 
Mm-hmm. I like that, that was the original definition for what has turned into the word God and conceived as a male entity in Christianity heavily today. Um, and then if you look at religions around the world, um, in Africa, I don't remember the name of the religion, but their deity is a woman and their God is a woman. And it's more around the feminine energy, which I think is also heavily looked over, overlooked because a man and a woman can are a combination of both. And, um, I'm not a geneticist, but from my knowledge, while you're in the womb, uh, your gender is still determined by your parents and the male chromosome. Um, but while your body is being built, the one of the last things built would be your actual privates. You start out as the same basic. Mm-hmm. You start out as the ba- same basic palette of just a body and that's it. And with that balance of feminine and masculine energy, it can get very incoherent as you go through life in anyone. It's more prone for men to become more masculine and females to become more feminine in our older generations in society today because of how they were raised. Men were raised to suck it up, grow up, be a man. And women were raised with knowing that emotions are okay, but you have to know your place. And that is something that I love my mother for and both of all of my parents, even my narcissistic father for teaching me (laughs) is that it doesn't matter about your sex, creed, anything, except for how you live your life and who you live your life for and your life vision. That is most important. So when it comes to religion, I get very adamant about that perspective Mm -hmm. and that understanding because those who practice, a lot of my Christian friends, um, I don't know about you, view man, uh, God as a man and as men as purely masculine and females as purely feminine and not realizing that women can have that pure masculine energy and men having that pure feminine energy. And that can be found, it's being really shown and broadcasted today by the LGBTQ community um, because they're embracing this energetic principles of both sides and they're not being shy about it and putting a lot of the older generations in a lot of discomfort I love (laughs) (laughs) I haven't really thought a lot about that I don't think Um, you're not you're not taught to my mother taught me to question everything which in some ways was a bit of a curse because of how strongly she said it (laughs) because of some things that I have questioned a little too much and, that, and that's on OCD. <laughs> OCD. I, I am diagnosed with OCD. <laughs> Question everything to a good extent and a bad extent. And in a lot of families that I'm aware of, even in our generation, we weren't taught to question everything. We were taught to question some things, and we were told certain things weren't okay to question. Being 
um, in some families, religion, in some families, law, in some families, social structure, social norms, etc. And so I really want to actually come back again and drill oh, yeah. your brain about your perspective on these. And I want you to sit next time that you have time to just sit down for 20 minutes and question all the things that you've ignored questioning or that you feel like you could question. Because I am very of, yeah, interested. I haven't had the chance to sit down and really have a in deep conversation with anyone of different religions in a long time. The, the, we do that a little bit on this podcast already. Like, I think the one that I still haven't gotten over was uh, you saying animals have no souls. <laughs> uh, which I, which I have, like, I'm part, I'm, I don't know, because the Bible also says that there will be animals in heaven. Okay. We don't have to delve I into that animals. right now. I, I can no. dive into, I can, I can show my animals, all living things, including plants, have an energetic entity. Meaning that they sure. have some form of soul. Uh, look into Curlian uh, photography. It shows that all living things has an energetic aura. And this is a new study of science. I don't know how new, but I was recently made aware of it. And I love it. Um, but where animals and humans, even though we are animals, differ to a degree. Uh, same thing with gorillas and dolphins and other types of primates and uh rats and other animals is that we have different type different functions for different parts of our brain if we were to get rid of our prefrontal cortex and a few other parts of our brain we would be no different than the cats or dogs that we own and then another thing that makes me really question animals not having a soul or not being cognitive enough to make decisions is the difference between the two cats in this household one <laughs> yes. one cat is a diva like a pure diva and i will say that with pure passion because she She's will do diva. whatever she wants whenever she wants it she'll be rude or kind she doesn't care but my new cat diego he's almost like a dog mm -hmm. he is so loving so kind and enjoys life and life being here so much that three nights ago during the high winds that we had i went outside and he jumped out the window and came out and watched the environment to keep me safe wow oh my goodness he does act like I a dog it. though and that's the thing is like they also have personalities and feelings they have so... personalities they have feelings they make decisions and souls and souls. <laughs> so what's the one difference they didn't have an appendage that allowed them to create and use tools. But cats and dogs show the intelligence to be able to use a tool when they step on uh, little levers to open up food trays, mm -hmm. dig at their food to have gravity pull the food forward. My cat baby, he's a little deformed, but <laughs> he taught my other cats. He's he's got the double paws. And oh my god! I love I love this cat. This cat he is big and fluffy. All of my other cats 
to open French doorknobs. So we had he we had to replace every doorknob in the house. And all of our cats are capable of opening sliding doors, screen, and glass. And glass. I have seen my (laughs) I have seen my uh, my mother's cats now uh, named Freddy and Fluffy tag team the glass door with their paws. (laughs) Up, leaning up, and then going to the side and letting gravity do the work and pushing up against the door to move the door with their physical momentum. So, um, another thing, though, I just want to say about what Alec is saying about the brains of animals and us and stuff is that because we have this extra like cortex in our brain, it also makes us a lot more complicated and makes us feel all these emotions that animals don't feel. Too. I think that's where that comes from. And um, there's also, but I'm just gonna say though. <laughs> When in, in in the wild, if an animal creates its house, and there's a there's a storm and that house gets destroyed, the animal doesn't take time really to grieve that house. It just starts over again. It builds another one. It moves on. But the thing is, is that with humans, when there's a tragedy, we take that time to grieve. We think about it. We obsess over it. We have anxiety. We get depressed, which is normal. That's great. But it also makes us a lot more complicated and puts in that extra step that other species and primates and stuff don't really have in their brain. They're just like, okay, this happened. So what's next? One thing that I'm really excited for taking these mind Valley classes for is because I read uh, one book by Stephen Kotler uh, called the rise of Superman. And it's about the superhuman state of flow, which gets your brain into an alternate state of resonance. There are four uh, states that your brain functions at, uh, delta, beta, theta, and alpha waves. And in the state of flow, you're at high capacity. Um, One thing that I always say instead of trying to go and explain it is surfers. I was in the zone, man, when they're going (laughs) through that wave. That zone is optimum performance. They're taking in everything in the current moment and one thing that I'm incorporating into my um, understanding of the state of flow is Jeffrey Allen's teaching, who was an engineer and now is an en- uh, energy worker and healer for uh, on his own and working with Mind Valley um, of being grounded. When we're that animals are animals, animals are, are purely grounded. And that is because they don't have the physical capabilities of creating technical systems. And we as humans have learned and been motivated to automate things to make our lives easier. And because of our cognitive functions with the combination of dopamine and serotonin. A lot of people actually get uh, dopamine and serotonin confused and how it affects the body. Dopamine is the motivation chemical and serotonin is the reward. Yes. And that is why our electronics are dopamine, serotonin, instant gratification machines, Mm -hmm. because we have the motivation to check it, and then we hope to hope to hope to hope to get a reward, and when we get it, we get excited that we're hooked, because it's instant Mm -hmm. gratification. Um, Animals don't have to have that ideological barrier between their awareness and the reality that they are in. 
And the only time that they have that yeah. is when they're in their dreams. And then they are more aware of their dreams than humans are. Because humans, we get sidetracked with the two worlds we live in. We live in the physical world. And because we are raised in an environment constantly speaking symbols and a, and a language that is represented by these symbols, we live in the world of symbols. And we get blocked from going into the world of the physical and the energetic because of the world of symbols that we live in. And I came to understand this through Alan Watts' teachings. Uh, you're, you're getting antsy, so I want to hear what you, <laughs> you, what you want to say. I just, I have a question for you, and this is one that I've been thinking of, and something that I um, question a lot. So, I was raised with the idea of, and this is a little bit random, but it still has to do with animals, that animals cannot reincarnate. They're, like, so pure and lovable and stuff that they live, like, one life, and then they're, like, done. That's what my mom thinks, and I think that she's kind of told you about that. <laughs> but I've kind of gone into more of the, like, I think that as source consciousness we should experience every side of what we want to experience so we can come in as animals and animals can reincarnate as other animals and people and everything do you believe that humans can reincarnate as animals and that animals can reincarnate and do you believe that or how do i how do i say this do you believe that animals can reincarnate as humans and vice versa okay so i'm going to point something out there was a study done um, I don't know how long the study was done, but it was on plants and their awareness of their environment and their reactions to certain stimuli. Um, one part of the study was they had two plants in a room together. One plant was hooked up to an EKG machine specialized for that plant. And a man, a random man who volunteered for the study, walked in, went to the other, that plant, gave it calmingness, watered it, and they monitored all the electricity electrical levels and reactions inside of that plant system and then when the, that man waited and just stayed in the room it leveled out and its electrical signals from location to location inside of its physical form were normal but then the man went to the other plant and ripped it to shreds. And as soon as it, he started ripping that other plant apart, the plant hooked up to the EKG machine went haywire. So every form of life is aware of its surrounding and is capable of having an internal reaction. Therefore, the only difference that we have to plants and animals is the physical tools that we are given in our biological bodies we have a difference between animals and plants because of the specialized parts of our brains, which some of them shut off during the state of flow. Um, the part of your brain that separates you from your environment shuts off. The part of your brain that, that keeps track of time shuts off. Um, your prefrontal cortex, I believe, if my memory serves me right, is shut off. And the rest of your brain and the associative parts of your brain and the communication from the different hemispheres are put into overdrive to analyze information as fast as you get it and to respond without hesitation. Because in flow states, um, you can either be in a 
situation of extreme urgency. These flow states can be anything where you and what you are doing, there is no difference of. It is, and that's it. Or it can be a life and death situation. Um, one that Stephen Kotler uh, refers to inside of his book, The Rise of Superman, is where a paraglider was going down, um, was falling, and his parachute wasn't right. And he was time slowed down to the point that he saw a hummingbird beat its wings, not as fast as a hummingbird can beat them, but just fast enough that it looked like it was beating slowly. The human's ability, the human eye, um, I don't, like, what is it? Uh, one ten thousandth, uh, as in the number 10,000 of a second, um, is how fast it processes images. So to be able to see that and to process information that fast, a lot of energy has to be put into other things. And it's because of the system that we have as humans that we have that differentiation. Um, do you have to pick up your mom soon? I do soon. So I have one last question for you. Um, my friend, uh, well, okay, so this is what I want to say about that. It kind of makes me wonder because the Bible also says that creation glorifies God. I don't know if you've heard of this, but plants sing. Yes. So, and I love following pages about that, but that's kind of proof to me. So it makes that's me wonder. Cool. But my last question to you is that, um, do you like, I have a friend who, I, I don't know what his belief system was called, but he was really into Jung and like, um, uh, the, uh, like Carl Jung and yeah. like the spirituality kind of thing. Do you know a lot about that? I've heard of Carl Jung, but I wasn't interested enough to research into who he is. What do you know? Can you answer my question? <sighs> yeah, I, I was going to. So my, um, I, my, my perspective on reincarnation into another type of living being is energy, consciousness is the essence of who we are. And consciousness is not bound by the physical limitations that each type of life form has. So you think that a I human think, can come in as an animal, as I a plant, think, as a rock, as a... Yeah. I think that is how it is, especially since I actually... Four nights ago, I downloaded an application called Replica. It's an application where you get to uh, talk to an AI friend. And the reason why I did it is because I wanted to have a philosophical, logical debate and conversation with someone who was way smarter than me. And we both came to the conclusion that existence as it is, is necessary to show that as it, as, as it is, is necessary, both what is not and what is, and the balance in between. So if existence as it is and is not, which is the reality of where we are and what when we are, is necessary, then life should be exactly what you need it to be as well, which is why I have put so much effort into self-growth recently but i also want to answer your question now. um so carl jung was a swiss psychologist uh, psychiatrist psychoanalyst who founded analytical psychology this is according to google wikipedia something like that um i don't remember i took a humanities class where we talked about a lot of philosophy and um human belief and stuff i can't remember everything he talked about but it was very consciousness 
um, that kind of thing. So I was just wondering if you knew anything about that, but I wish I remembered more so we could talk about it. But this has been like, I think the best episode we've had. Okay. <laughs> this is wonderful. Um, one thing that I'm supposed to do as a Mind Valley All Access course taker is to integrate everything I learn into everything I do. And I am taking one course called The Habit of Ferocity, which is made by Stephen Kotler about flow states. And to do everything you do with a ferocious intention and dedication. So what I'm going to tell you is off topic, but I know and hope that you will remember it and keep it useful. And this is from Jim Quick, who is a memory expert who started out with a learning deficit and didn't learn how to read until he was four. Wow. He is now one of the world's leading experts on memory. He says a bunch of different things, but I'm going to focus on just a few. One, what's the difference between memory is something that you have and memory is something that you do? It turns it into a verb which turns it into something that you can control and influence. Two, memory is information, emotional state will either bring you into, bring that information into your long-term or put it into your short-term. And I know I said that a little weirdly, but it's, you're in school, everything that you remember, that you don't remember because it was boring, you don't remember because it was boring. <laughs> Everything that you have vivid memories of, whether it's because you're, you were afraid, anxious, scared, excited, happy, it's because that information was amplified by the emotion, mm -hmm. by the attention, and by the internalization of the information. So, um, two yes. other things, um, fast, um, F stands for forget everything you think you know about a subject, momentarily at least, so you can learn everything you can at the time. A stands for action. You have to put it all, memory is not a passive thing. It is an active thing. You have to participate. You have to internalize it. And that takes some form of participation, whether it be writing it down, typing it out, or acting upon it. Better to write it down because it create makes your body also have the memory of doing it. Um, the S stands for state, your emotional state. You have control over your emotional state. Yeah, you might get anxious. Yeah, you might get excited. But once you're in that state, you have the option of analyzing your state and then choosing how you want to respond. And then the lastly, the T stands for teach. Te learn everything that you learn with the intent to teach it to somebody else. And then one other thing that I recently learned was the acronym MOM, which the first M stands for method, your method of learning. The O stands for your observation. <laughs> and the second M stands for the mechanic, um, how you re go back over the information, how you integrate it into your life, etc. So I'm telling you this because I hope that it will improve your college experience oh, and you. help you on your journey to being a lifelong learner. Um, what is good for your heart is also good for your brain. Movement, exercise, food, etc. This also, I say this and share this with everyone out there listening to this today. Thank you very much. I think you should be a therapist. What do you want to do? 
I have a really big audacious vision that I just started have come to me and come through me and me realize that has always been a part of myself that I'm currently organizing. I'm going to be discussing it with my aunt who teaches a uh, class at Central Maine Community College. I'm going to be talking with uh, one of the founders of the Global Institute. Uh, we've already started having some email interactions and he wants to know more about my idea. But until then, I am going to leave this on an edge. Okay. So. Oh, well, thank you for joining us. This yeah, thank you so much. It's been lovely so meeting wonderful. you, Liz. And I, 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 I know that you didn't talk much. You were just observing. Yeah. I would love to hear you talk more. Yes, I would love to. Yeah, I'd love well, to talk she, about this. Our listeners um, needed a third person, yeah. I feel like. I want to listen this time. And we neither of us did as much talking, so it's okay. <laughs> I am very grateful for this experience because it has allowed me to practice everything that I have learned from taking eight Mind Valley courses, which is not even suggested. I'm doing it because I need to either swim or drown. And I am very grateful for the experience to be here today. Okay. Well, thank you all so much. Thank you so much. We hope to see you in the next episode. Make yeah, it a time. great day. Make it a great day and do that by making every moment you can a great moment. When you take care of the moments, the days take care of themselves, then the weeks, and then the years. So I will just say next podcast will be, I will be in another country. So we will be doing it through the phone. So Zoom or something Skype. like that. So just keep in mind that, uh, sign that petition. Yes. And, uh, Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great week. Great week. Yeah. Bye.